Who wants to start us off then? Um, I don't know. I, I think, Dre, you should go ahead and start the show first. No, no, I, I like the rear end of that yellow car in front of me. I think King should take it first. I think he should lead the way. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe yellow car shouldn't be this high up the grid. You are the, mm. you know, quote-unquote, black Nico Rosberg, so I think you should take it. <laughs> yeah, that means I'm used to finishing second, so I think Cam should take the lead. <sighs> Fuck y'all, I'm going to set my own lap. Well, no, no, <laughs> hold on. Think about it, though. You're going to be at such a disadvantage if you have to start off the show first. I, I think I should just immediately, I should set the pace. Y'all should follow behind me, and then, you know... Oh. And we're out of time. Let's welcome to the we intro the and welcome deadline. back to oh, the podcast. No. I can't <laughs> welcome back. It's a bonus. <laughs> God damn what? it! What a fucking mess. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> we will thoroughly break down that shit house later in the show, but I am Andre Harrison, your friendly neighborhood host, and welcome to episode 211 of Motorsport 101. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, and we have a loaded four person booth on this week's show. With us on this time, as usual, is Ryan Eric King. Hello, sir. Hi, I'm I'm glad that I didn't die of potassium poisoning this weekend. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all in all, great weekend. Yeah, when those Renos making you a little bit nervous, they're a little bit high up the field for you. They just start with nose. the nosebleed. Yep, real <laughs> nervous. The nosebleed was in full effective. I was like, wait, we're in fourth? What? Um, <laughs> more on that later. Um, we have, as, as usual, Mr. RJ O'Connor here, everybody. Hey. Hi. I, I still miss Japan. Uh, it's, it was still a good time. I kind of miss it there. And you know what else I missed? The hard-hitting action of the National Football League, uncompensated sponsor of Motorsport 101. No, I did not watch the Bills-Jets game and the uh, the battle for the traveling trophy that is the Easy Pass Flaming Table. <laughs> you think I wanted to watch that shit? No! And this is coming from a man who supports the Bills who actually won the game. And I, I that- only watched the last five minutes of that game... I thought it was close until I watched the highlights of the rest of the game, and I'm like, what the hell happened, guys? We could have had one. Buddy, I could ask the same question. Uh, Main host of the show and our next guest, please don't interact. (laughs) Yes, yes. uh, Your 2019, 2020, and 2021 AFC East champion. Um... They're referring to Mr. Cam Buckley, who's also joining us on this week's show. Cam, remind the people what part of the world you're from. Just north of Boston. Hi, everybody. And that... See y'all at the Super Bowl, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, an offense. We, we, we were hitting double passes, screens. We dunked on Pittsburgh and beat them by 30 points last night in more delicious irony. Part of me was hoping, like, hey, Rob Gronkowski isn't there anymore. Maybe the other teams will stand a chance. And I was just let down severely. Oh, come on. Last year, he was 
Last year, he was running around like he had a piano. I know, it was, it was like he wasn't there. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not totally drunk with power about this at all, being the New England fan. I'm Boy, like, I'm, I'm just not, not, glad that we don't have any panelists that are Miami Dolphins fans, just to round out the quadfecta. <laughs> oh, Sorry, Lord, Steve. Steve. <laughs> we have, like, <laughs> we, have, we have the entire AFC East in this Discord. I love it. It's great. Oh, dear. We have no choice but to stand. Um, uh, but, Steve's uh, not a Dolphins fan. Who is the Dolphins? Uh, Who is our resident Dolphins fan here on Motorsport I, 101? I don't think we do, actually. Like, I know a couple of guys on Twitter that follow me that are mad Dolphins fans, but I don't think they're actually in this server, funnily enough. Just um, like Formula One, we don't make inroads in Miami. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. Well, well, we would have, but, you know, Dwayne Wayne's backyard was just... They, they didn't want the noise around there. It's fine. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, while we cut from the uh, American Sports Center for just a second, let's get some general housekeeping out of the way. Places you can find us. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you'd like to follow our personal handles, you can at Ryan Eric King. That's with two Ks. At RJ O'Connell. At Cam Buckley 917. Just yank out the vowels, you'll find him. Um, and me at Harrison 101 HD. My phone is still lit up like a Christmas tree because Will Buxton retweeted me on Monday talking about a rather poignant and beautiful intro. If you haven't, if you haven't seen it, it is on my Twitter. Um, and shout out to Henry for originally sharing it in this very Discord. I feel like I've taken some of his thunder for the day, unfortunately. Um, my bad. Um, but uh, um, It is a very beautiful and poignant intro by Alex Jakes. So he was um, first on the hard camera for uh, the introduction to the Formula 2 feature race um, this weekend, which is certainly worth a mention. Um, shout out to you guys for that. Um... If you'd like to us financially as well, you can do so on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. $5 gets you early access to all of our shows. $10 gets you into the supporters club as well of our Discord server, where you can listen to these shows live as they go out. And holy shit, we have like eight people like listening to this right now. This is kind of mental. Shout out to Jason, Tony, Henry. Um, we've got uh, Steve in here. We've got Vince in here. We've got Lewis in here. Hi, Lewis. Um, we've got uh, Vic as in here and Rezzy, who's currently, I think, in Singapore, and he's up at 3, 8, 3 o'clock in the morning. Indonesia. Right now. Indonesia. Indonesia. My still... apologies. Yes. I, I get my Southeast Asia confused very, very easily. My apologies. Um, but yes, it's three in the morning out there right now, and he's still tuning in to listen to us. Man, get some goddamn sleep. Um, <laughs> but uh, thanks, Rezzy, as always. Thanks to everyone that's listening in, as always. Much, much appreciated. Now, before we get into the nitty-gritty of the Italian Grand Prix and all the drama that came from that... And trust me, there is a lot of drama. Um, there's been an update on the condition of Juan Manuel Correa, who was sadly involved in the awful accident regarding Antoine Hubert um, just over a week ago now. Um, again, I, I salute his family for being so open about, uh, about Juan Manuel's condition. And at this time, I will read to you a statement that was made by his family on his official social media channels on September the 6th. Um... Uh, and I quote, First of all, on behalf of our son, we wish to thank everyone within and outside the motorsports community for the wonderful and caring get well wishes that we have received as well as messages for a speedy recovery. We are confident that Han Manuel will review them all himself once he is back in charge of his social media accounts. 
Honouring our son straight to the point and honesty that characterises him, we wish to update you on the status of his injuries and physical condition. As time has progressed, new complications have surfaced as a consequence of the massive impact he suffered Saturday in Belgium. On his arrival to London, Juan Manuel was diagnosed with acute respiratory distress syndrome. This is an injury considered common in high-impact accidents such as this one. Unfortunately, this injury resulted in Juan Manuel fa- fall, sorry, sorry, falling, I should say, sorry, into acute respiratory failure. Juan Manuel is currently in an intensive care unit that specialises in respiratory injuries. At this point in time, he is in an induced state of unconsciousness and under ECMO support. Juan Manuel is in a critical but stable condition. We are confident that our son will surprise us like he always does with his tremendous fighting will and strength and will recover completely. At this time, we kindly respect that our privacy and space be requested. As a family, we need to pull together and be 100% there for Juan Manuel. Maria and I wish to take this opportunity to give our condolences to the Hubert family for their loss. Our hearts are broken and we can only imagine the pain this loss has brought them. Hashtag stay strong JM. We can only echo that sentiment on behalf of everyone here at M101. Please keep fighting one and uh, hopefully... We'll see you back in a race car soon enough. Um, it was actually a bit of a surprise when that statement first came out because I think his condition obviously worsened. We did not know about it at the time, and it looks like it was actually somewhat worse than uh, than I think some of the early reports suggested, which is uh, brutal. But let's hope he can make a full and speedy recovery um, in the not-too-distant future. So uh, I'm off of all this here. Stay strong, JM. We're all behind you. Um... And after this quick musical break, we'll be back to talk about the mayhem that was the Italian Grand Prix and maybe the most shocking qualifying session of quite some time. Adesso diventa la 9, il predestinato vince il Gran Premio d'Italia. Dopo 9 anni, la Ferrari torna sul gradino più alto a casa nostra. Charles Gort vince a Monza. So, I guess, uh, do, wait, do you want me to start the segment? Or, I don't know, I think, King, you, you go ahead of me. So, so we're going to talk about how F3 qualifying got completely cancelled due to yon track chaos, right? Right? That's the qualifying? That was the craziest one? Um, well, let's just say it built the foundation for what came next. I'm, I'm just saying, like, maybe, just maybe, Nico Hulkenberg was watching some clips of Moto Freeze qualifying sessions of yesteryear and thought, hmm, I want a piece of that life. No? Maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Anyone got any better theories? <laughs> um, so, so just everyone lost their damn mind. After a session in which 19 of the drivers in this Formula 3 race were given grid penalties, <laughs> Formula 1 decided to, uh, is it a hold my beer moment because there were less cars involved, but obviously the magnitude is much larger because it's Formula 1 compared to Formula 3? No, no, I think, I, I think, I think the magnitude's uh, larger because... We didn't get to see the F3 chaos fully developed. They just red flagged it. F1, they let it play out. And oh boy, did it play out. Or rather, 
didn't play out at all. <laughs> yeah, like this was. I like to call this the world's fastest, most tactical game of chicken. Um, everybody had set their bank elapse in Q3 as you do. Um, apart from the guys who were only planning to do one one hot lap at the end of the session. Now, that's the clock's running down. We're at about the two minute mark right here and now. Now, I believe it was Nico Hulkenberg who was the first to blink and come out of the pits with about a minute 50 to go. Now, a full speed racing lap of Monza is about minute 20, 80 seconds, 85 seconds, you know, depending on how uh, pit exit speeds and all that. So let's, let's be generous and call it 85 seconds. Um, Hulkenberg comes out, the entire field comes out behind him and jumps so, on the back of the queue. <laughs> we should not, it wasn't a queue. It was, I would say, more akin to like a pro cycling peloton because Hulkenberg knew he didn't have the positioning to stay out in front into turn one. So he did the pro cyclist move and took the took the runoff chicane. <laughs> Yeah, it took the turn one. I'm about one to do runoff. what is called a pro cyclist move. <laughs> <laughs> took the turn one runoff, and then the rest of the field was like, "Ha ha! You thought you were clever, weren't you, Nico? <laughs> we're just gonna slow down too, and then go through the curve of Grande at uh, at, uh, at walking speed. And then by this point, I like like this point, Hulkenberg and I think it's Carlos Sainz are at the front of the queue. Sebastian Vettel is directly behind them, and he's waving to get to put their foot down there like <laughs> at, at this point we're at about a minute 10 and if you listen on f1's youtube channel there's actually full video coverage of this incident and the radio messages as well um that was going through the driver's heads as this was taking place and many drivers in there were warned um guys like you're you're really close to the time here like it's gonna be four or five seconds to the flag like put your foot down, basically. Something basically going near a full racing speed um, at this point. I'm, I'm watching. The, I'm rewatching the clip now on you on the YouTube channel on my TV. There's 30 seconds to go as they're going through a scary, and I think the penny has dropped that they're not going to make it. They've all come around to the last corner. Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc barely make it over the line to start off. The other eight cars are timed out. They run out of time as they come over the start-finish line and their sessions are over. Sainz and Leclerc don't improve. Charles Leclerc takes his third pole position of the season. Actually, no, I think it's his fourth, actually. Um, and, uh, yeah, the whole of F1 has egg on its face. Um, <laughs> what a spectacle. Um, they just cut to Toto Wolf's face in the garage right now, and it's it's a treat. It's it, his face has dropped, and it's just like, what the hell just happened? Um, King, where do you even start on this? Oh God, I think you gotta start with Leclerc's radio message after the team says he's secured pole. What a mess! What a mess! <laughs> he, what he, says, a mess. <laughs> he says pole position anyway, guys. What a mess. <laughs> I kind of lost track of what was happening and thought, oh, geez, nobody said it time. Is Carlos Sainz about to fluke his way to ball position? Yeah, it's crazy. It's like I'm rewatching the radio segment section now. And like, like Lance Stroll, I think, is there in the queue. And it's like, watch out for Hulkenberg. He may pull a trick as they go into turn one. And that's exactly what Hulkenberg does. Everybody slows down. So Hulkenberg rejoins at the front of the queue. And then, like I said, at this point, it's the world's fastest game of chicken. 
Um, and yeah, well, the damn. Whole- if they were bunched up that much at Curva Grande a lap one, I was like, damn, this is the best Italian Grand Prix ever. <laughs> Especially with a. Yeah. A Renault and a McLaren leading the pack. It's Holy the fir- Jesus. It's the first lap of a game of wipeout. Like it's it's not pretty. And like I think I think it was Hamilton that very nearly got driven into going around the curve of Grande over a hundred miles an hour. It no, could this have been is the disastrous. first lap of a game of wipeout, but if you set it on vector class. Oh yeah. Very slowly, <laughs> of course. Yeah, and and that's the thing with Monza being such an old track. From Curva Grande up through the Lesmos, if two cars are side by side, a third car can't comfortably just go around. Yep, they're screaming at Stroll on the radio, you need to go, you need to go. And then by that point, half the guys are saying, yeah, we missed the flag. Yeah, Hamilton, that's not cool. They kept us all behind. And then Hamilton accuses Ferrari of doing it on purpose, which I thought was a treat. <laughs> when, when, when you realise... Um, g- interesting tactics. Uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's an interesting tactic just to keep pole position. I need to do the lap. Um, was the was cynical Hamilton in the radio at the time. Um, he immediately blamed Ferrari about watching the footage and realising it was Hulkenberg that signs at the front of the queue. Uh, yep. uh, all the lap times stood... Um, Hulkenberg, Stroll, and Signs were all given reprimands after qualifying and had their wrists severely slapped and basically said, don't do that again, you very naughty boys, um, basically. Um, Talk about the fact that Nico Rosberg said at the beginning of Q2, these are the best drivers in the world. <laughs> yeah. The man who um, still lives rent-free in Lewis Hamilton's head. In more everyone's on, more, head. More on that later. Um, I, I do want to tangent about that later on. But, but uh, yeah, it, it it doesn't matter if you're the best drivers in the world. Traffic comes for us all. And drama to brain tactics. And I think <laughs> I've heard everybody say that this was a farce. This was on the worst thing. I think we all just need a good, lighthearted laugh after how heavy last weekend was. Don't you? No, yep. to be fair, and I thoroughly yeah. pissed myself while watching it. So yeah, mission accomplished, F one. If that <laughs> if that's what you were going for, then by all means you got there. It was silly. And we've joked about it before, but it was very reminiscent of often what we see in Moto 3 qualifying sessions where you'll get a bunch of dudes dawdling on the racing line looking for a toe because those bikes only have about forty horsepower, uh, but they have a top speed of about hundred and fifty. And a toe on a bike that small and that light is significant. In the same way that here, they they, they posted a stat during Q2 that said, um, and I quote, a slipstream down the front straight alone was worth 0.2 of a second. Um, yeah, yeah and- this is one of the few tracks where the slipstream effect actually outweighs the dirty air effect. Yeah. And the toe was massive, and the the toe could have easily been worth half a second over an entire lap. Um, so yeah, it, it yeah, kind and of- that was and what the the margin like the margin between fifth position in qualifying and first was half a second. Funnily enough, yeah, yep. um, which became a point of contention within the Ferrari camp because. Uh, Charles did a no-no. Charles did do a no-no. Tell us more, Cam. Well, on the first run in qualifying, Ferrari always uses slipstream effects at Monza. Mm -hmm. And usually they have one order for the drivers for the first lap, one order for the second lap. Yeah. Give both guys a fast shot. Yep. Well, on the first run, Vettel gave Charles a toe. 
Mm-hmm. This helped Charles to Pope position. And I think the gap was, what, one and a half tenths it was over Vettel? Exactly one and a half tenths, believe it or not. Well, on the second run, Charles decided, nah. Well, I actually watched the segment back on YouTube. Like, they actually tell Charles you can overtake Sebastian. Like, <laughs> so in other words, someone in the back slipped up or, you know, someone in there done goofed. Um... <laughs> Whatever it was, Ferrari were once again not on the same page. Um, And, well, we've talked about that on numerous occasions. Um. (laughs) Yeah, beat that dead horse. But, apparently, Bonotto was furious with Charles after qualifying. When he he means furious, he means sticking around the back and went, Good job, Charles. Good job. Um, (laughs) Yep. Ferrari doing Ferrari things. But hey, Ferrari's on pole position, and they haven't won here since 2010. No pressure, Charles. No pressure whatsoever. Or in the case of Charles and how the race actually played out, it was all pressure for the entire race. All of it. It, And it didn't help when... uh, And this is going to be our first main segment of the main segue of the the episode here. Uh, Early going, uh, Sebastian Vettel, uh, well lost the rear going into Ascari and spun out. And just like that, it's two on one against Charles and uh, the rear gunner is gone, basically. And uh, Sebastian has beached the car temporarily on the apex of the second part of Ascari, tries to return to the track, does so very nearly into the... like It takes and collides into Lance Stroll, who has to spin out on the third part of the apex to take evasive action of Vettel's front wing. Who's there? Oh, no, they made contact. Oh, they made contact. Oh, they didn't, they didn't they yeah, they made contact. Yeah, it ripped, uh, yeah. Yeah, ripped Vettel's front wing off. Oh, yeah, of course, because of the front wing damage. That's quite right. Yeah, the front wing damage there. So, yeah, Lance Stroll... Ends up spinning it. He goes over the apex on the last part of the corner. He then rejoins the track dangerously. And I think it was Dino Kivy at that to get out no, of the way. He, he, oh, he forced Gasly, Gasly off the road. Yeah, Gasly had to go off the road on the outside of the exit of Ascari to, to again, avoid a pink panther mounting his side pod. Um, this dropped Vettel to the back of the field after a, a pit stop for a new front wing. And on top of that, he was also then given a 10-second stop-and-go penalty for re-entering the track dangerously. Lance Stroll was given a drive-through penalty for the same offence. Where Again, where do we even start on this one? Um, it's, it's, it's a, oh, boy. I mean... If there is one place you do not bin a Ferrari... It's a scary. <laughs> no, it's Monza. It's Monza in general, and it's, and it's two years in a row for Sebastian that he screwed the pooch at Monza. On Look home at turf. Hamilton, alongside Vettel, oh so close. Mm. Yeah, and then you yeah, know, spin happens. You know, drops exactly. step to the back of the field. It's almost like it was, it was, it was almost a carbon copy if it wasn't for Hamilton. In the they touch Martin. I, I'd actually, I'd argue this is worse because Vettel just lost it on his own. Yeah, yeah. It, they, it they was didn't a touch this around. time. No, it was it was a straight up driver error. He lost it on his own. Lost the rear going into Ascari. Very F one twenty nineteen the video game esque, um, where you feel like you're going to lose the rear end the moment you turn into Ascari, and then Vettel actually did, and he beaches it. And his race from a competitive standpoint is over. He would go on to finish in thirteenth in the end. Um, but fellas, I've got to talk about this penalty. <laughs> like church is in session. Honestly, this might be the retirement of the church at this point. Like, I'm like, 
Like, after the race result, I feel like I feel like the church might have run its course as a gimmick on this show. It has burned down so many times and been rebuilt. I can just still don't have the willpower anymore. I can still smell the kerosene. It's 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 still smoldering behind me as I speak. It's Reverend uh, Dravond is no longer taking brick fund donations. <laughs> <laughs> Invest in my new company, Popcoin, instead, the new cryptocurrency. Um no, look. I can't condone that spin. I look. I don't know what to make of this re-entering the track rule because we saw it at Montreal. That was five seconds. I was like, okay, we've established this. Now I'm not saying this shouldn't have been a harsher penalty. This was extremely dangerous. Yeah, and- this was the kind of shit that we always give Paul Tracy uh, a, a lot of deserved flack for because he basically mm-hmm. pulled out and drove into somebody in San Jose in 2006. Yeah, and didn't. Tagliani want to fight him that day afterwards. Yes, he did. Yes, yes he was, did. They actually fought. Yeah. yeah. And for five minutes, Lance Stroll wanted to fight Sebastian Vettel until realizing, wow, I did the exact same thing. Yeah. Now, look, I'm not saying it shouldn't have been a harsher penalty because it was a million times more dangerous than what we got at Montreal. Um, what I don't understand is, how did Vettel get a 10-second stop-and-go penalty and then Lance Stroll didn't for the exact same offense. Um, Lance Stroll's yeah, trying to figure out the yeah, same so, thing. No, because no, Lance, so, yeah, it, Michael it was Massey, a combo penalty. Yeah, Michael Massey made it clear on Sky Sports after the race. Michael Massey, the race director, made yeah, it clear. The, the, the stewards made their decision on the basis that Vettel's contact involved, I mean, Vettel's incident involved contact, and Stroll's incident did not. Oh, which in the context of the incident on paper, you say, absolutely, that's a harsher penalty in the context of the incident. I don't think it was any quote unquote better for Stroll to do what he did. No, but I can see it. I I 100% can see why that'll got a harsher penalty. I get it. I get it. But I I, I wish there was more clarity on this because it's just like. Explaining it the next day isn't helping anyone. No, they're like they. There needs to be better communication on this, and they'll, and I'll mention this again in another incident we'll talk about very shortly regarding this race. Like, it. Not everybody's got Sky Sports F1. You know, like they get me wrong, and I and I'm, I can't believe I'm actually giving Sky some praise here. Well done for getting Michael Massey on the on on the show itself. That is. Good broadcasting, you know, to get him on, get him in front of the Skypad, get him in front of. I mean, why am I fucking? Am I calling it the Skypad? It's a goddamn TV. Um, it's it's a, it's a touchscreen TV for fuck's sake. Um, I'm not putting a brand name on this shit. Um, no, but um, you know, you got you got you got the TV out. You got Anthony Davidson there alongside. Um, we all know Davidson's a fantastic pundit, and they got him to actually explain the incidents and the thinking process behind it. That is good. However, as I mentioned, we don't all have Sky F1. This is not on the world feed. It's problematic in that not everybody is going to get to see that footage, which is a shame. Um, It's not going to get me wrong, that's not Sky's fault. But, you know, it would have been helpful if these things are better communicated sometimes. Because this is something that the FIA has always struggled with. It's like Austria all over again. Don't get me wrong, there was valid reasons for that too. But it's like... It shouldn't have to come down to hammering a refresh button 
on Twitter hoping for someone like Luke Smith to ref- to come through and give us that breaking <laughs> news. It's frustrating. And it's 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 happened a lot this season. And yeah, it's a bit infuriating, but we can't justify the penalty. Uh, I, I mean that was that was reckless from Sebastian at best and just impatient. I mean in yeah. what you know, it's don't get me wrong. I'm not sure there is a safe way to rejoin Ascari, but there's certainly better ways than that. And um, yeah, like uh, he, he sunk down the order. Um, Stroll again would finish in 12th as a result of that later on down the road. But uh, that was the first real big highlight of the race. Um, this was a like I actually I don't know about you guys, but I actually really enjoyed this race. Um, I, I did I, too. It was, yeah, it was real good. Great race. Yeah, like, and I've said it before, I think this might be the best Italian Grand Prix since at least 2008, uh, maybe since 99, um, but th- for many reasons, and like, I'll get to those in a minute, but the main story of the race was up the front, it, and after Vettel had his spin, it was two-on-one. It was the two Mercs, Bottas and Hamilton against Charles Leclerc, Um Merckx tried an undercut with Hamilton and put him on the medium compound tire. Um, they tried to, to try the undercut, didn't work. Charles Leclerc came out ahead, but he was on the hard compound tire. So they immediately gave Hamilton the hurry up. It's like, okay, Lewis, now's your time to strike. Those hards are always going to take longer to come up to temperature. And, well, we all know that the, that the Merckx is much better on its tires than, than Ferrari is. Right. So, you know, we got a lot of to in and fro in and we got multiple attempts from Hamilton to try and find a way around Charles Leclerc and Leclerc the great wall of Leclerc was up on this one he like we all know that Merckx had issues they did not have the top end speed that mm. Ferrari has even with DRS there wasn't enough of an advantage for the Mercs to be able to find a way around that insanely good Ferrari power unit at full chat um <laughs> Even though Leclerc did not make life entirely easy for himself. I was just about to get into mm. lap 23. Hamilton sees a move coming out of the toe through Cruver Grande and the second Variante Redifilio. Um It's at this point that we start to see that Charles Leclerc, as sweet a boy as he is, he has a bit of a mean streak when the chips are down. He was moving across to try and defend his position from Lewis Hamilton, and that forced Hamilton to go through the chicane. It was naughty. Yep. It was a naughty one. Um, for those that haven't seen it, they're pretty much side by side. Hamilton's on the outside going into turn four, and Leclerc squeezes him to the point where there's less than a car length between him and the and the grass. Hamilton has to take to the grass has to take to the grass to avoid contact with Leclerc's car. And has to take the escape road, and basically lost about a second. Austria and was his awakening. It really, yeah. it really, it really was. Yeah. It, it kind of circles back to uh, Michael Massey's interview with Sky Sports F1, where he's clear where Canada was a turning point, where the teams were clear that they wanted racing to be officiated differently, and he. Mm. And he mentioned multiple times that, you know, a let them race mentality is what they wanted. And uh, obviously he's been trying to be more transparent about it, but the FIA really isn't formatted for him to be transparent because mm-hmm. he was he was able to be more transparent about officiating in his previous position as Australian supercars race director. 
Now, where, 13 laps later, um, Leclerc <laughs> locks it up into the first chicane, takes out a huge chunk of the sausage curbs on the inside, and you're thinking, right, that's Leclerc's race ruined. Yep. He's probably chewed up the underside of his car. Hamilton has a move, but no, Leclerc keeps him back. Indeed, that that note of Charles Leclerc technically cutting the corner to, to maintain his position was noted, but not investigated. And Twitter was incensed. <sighs> yeah, um, we didn't mention this in the first incident, the lap 23, but Charles Leclerc was given a warning from race direction, but he was not punished for the incident. Um, and by the, by the last quarter of the race, Hamilton's goose is cooked. His tyres have got nothing left to give. Hamilton was losing time to Leclerc now to the point where he was getting knocked out of the RS range. This was basically Merck's throwing. This was basically Hamilton throwing in the towel, and Merck's made the call. And even though he didn't have to, really, I think the Merck's were about to make the call to swap the cars around because Valtteri, who was a few seconds down the road after their, their one and only stop, had clawed his way back to the leading group. Um, Hamilton would then lock a tire going into turn one, has to take the escape road there, and then Valtteri Bottas takes second place, and. Bottas, whose medium tyres were seven laps fresher than Lewis's, he hasn't a crack at Charles Leclerc um, for the race win. And it's getting closer and closer. Leclerc lost 0.4 in Ascari at one point, and then Valtteri lost 0.4 in the same corner a lap later. It, it was a ding-dong uh, back and forth. Yeah, Charles and Bottas was really, uh, who could make less mistakes? Yeah, they were both at the limit, um, trying to find a way around the other. And uh, it was on the penultimate lap where Bottas was, was as close as he'd ever been. He was within 0.5 down the home stretch. And he outbreaks himself going into turn one. Has to take the turn one uh, shortcut over the sausage curb. And that's effectively the end of the race. Um, Valtteri could not make up the 1.3, 1.4 seconds by the end of the race. And Charles Leclerc wins two races in a week. Takes back-to-back victories for Ferrari. Um, and as RJ alluded to earlier, the first Ferrari home win since 2010. Fernando Alonso winning that day. Um, and, uh, yeah, the 11th Ferrari driver to win at Monza. Um, it's quite a special club. Um, and yeah, Charles Leclerc wins from Bottas and Hamilton on the podium. And, uh, well... Fellas, if you wanted your Charles Leclerc coming to America moment, or in this case, coming to Italy moment, I guess this was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was it. It was. It was. It was a damn good race. Charles has become a man, um, and you know, as it was remarked uh, to Manny, this has kind of become the turning point that you could see coming for a while. That spiritually, this kind of feels like the passing of the torch to where this. This could very well become Charles's team from here on out. It certainly had that vibe to me. Um, I've, a lot of people were tweeting me about it a lot less yesterday and this morning. Shout out to that twat that felt like he wanted to go out of his way to message me saying, "Oh, made a burner that, account. <laughs> made a burner account to call." To How see. many numbers are on the end of his name? Too um, many. <laughs> too many to be credible. I don't know. I'm, I'm, there might be a social security number. He's not very smart, but um, no, he basically <laughs> like I, I I got a tweet saying oh, eight yeah. numbers. Yeah, it's like how do you feel that uh, you know? Well, it might be his account number. Who knows? Um, I was gonna say it's like um, he said, how does it feel that Vettel is a total fraud? And I'm like, 
I feel fine, actually. I find it more funny that you went out of your way to make a burner account just to tweet me. I'm like, well, have, I, have I made it? Am I famous now? Is that it? <laughs> like, I'm getting burner accounts tweeting me. But um, While saying, put Alonzo in the seat. That bridge is still smoldering, buddy. Yeah, again, I can still smell the carousels right next to the church. It's great. No, what I was going to say is that um, I alluded to a certain moment of one of my favorite TV shows growing up. I don't know how many people who were listening in are Doctor Who fans, but um, if anyone remember the, if anyone remembers the 11th Doctor's, um, Matt Smith's Doctor's final speech, where... You know, he got, like there's there's a beautiful part of his final speech that um, goes something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing here: "We all change. We're all different people all through our lives, and that's good. It's great. You've got to keep moving, just so long as you don't forget all the people that you used to be." It's one of my favourite lines in TV, and it's something I actually want to get tattooed on me at some point. But uh, I've never got around to it. Maybe 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 Christmas time or something. But after that, they're like. It's, it's it's if you know Doctor Who, you know it's a role where an actor will play maybe a few years at a time, and then they'll, in because if you're playing a Time Lord, they have a certain amount of lives and they can regenerate, and the next actor takes his role in that moment, and you know what's about to happen if you're a Doctor Who fan. You know this is going to be Matt Smith's last moment before he transforms into what was Peter Capaldi's Doctor, and that like Matt Smith's Doctor was famous for wearing a bow tie, and. My brother, like, oh, actually, I was at work watching this race, and my brother Ryan, whom you may know, you can follow him at Twitter, at the brother Ryan. He's actually become a brand of the, about being brother Ryan at this point. It's quite funny. Um, he sent me a WhatsApp message because I was at work as the race was going, and he said, Dre, this might be the changing of the guard moment. And I was like, I said to him, it's the dropped bow tie. Because he's a big Hoovian fan too, like I am. And, he, and what's referencing is when Matt Smith takes the bow tie off and it hits the floor. And I'm like, oh no, this is it. <laughs> and that's like that was like the penny dropping for me as a Sebastian Vettel fan. That, hey, maybe this is the beginning of the end. Who knows? Um, I don't know. Like, I, 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 it's, it's hard to even really, like, you have to sit back and think, where the hell does Ferrari go from here? And unfortunately for all of those who support either driver, it doesn't really matter which driver is the one leading the charge when the car is at absolute best capable of winning four or five races a year. Yeah, it's it almost like that's the thing. We are we in F1 fans, I'd, I'd say on the scale of mood, we lean on the optimistic side of the scale more than the cynical part of the scale. We are desperate for, for title threats, especially in this era now where Mercs and Hamilton look virtually unstoppable as a, as a car combination. And I mentioned this point to you, Cam, in our Discord earlier today, where I said, Charles Leclerc is the emotional winner. Like, yeah, I'm not saying that to, Winning... Yeah, you know, <clears throat> I'm not saying that to be, to be able to piss on what's happened in the last week for obvious reasons. I mean that in the sense of... Everybody loved Charles anyway. He's a, he's an incredibly likable young man. He's humble, he's modest, but he's also determined, fierce, and, you know, is an all-around good guy. And, of course, we're going to feel sympathetically and emotional towards him because I mentioned it on last week's show. This is a man that's dealt with an incredible amount of loss in his in his personal life and racing life, and it's hard not to root for someone like that. And I totally understand that. And now... The last week, he won the first race after one for one who bears passing, and then a week later, he wins at the home of Ferrari, in front of the Ferrari family, in front of 
a hundred thousand mad Tafosi fans, and I I can't remember the last time a podium celebration was this mental. Um, I, I can go on. Monza twenty ten. Yeah, the last time Ferrari won there, and that was again Fernando and like Ferrari immediately took to Fernando because they love their big marquee drivers. They always have, and they always will. That's that's what Ferrari's all about. From from Vettel to Schumacher to, to, to Alonso to Nigel Mansell. And, you know, it goes on and on and on. But um, all I will say is, and I'm not saying this to pour water or anything, because, you know, oh, great, Dre the Sebastian van's going to be cynical in the background because that's what he does. He's bitter about the passing the torch. I'm not. I, it's impossible not to root for Charles. He's a great kid, and I really do hope he could take Ferrari back to the promised land. I would say be very careful what you wish for, because I've been through this. <laughs> yeah, look at the last decade. Mm. They've gone through one of the best drivers, for a time the best driver on the grid in Kimi Raikkonen, mm-hmm. one time. Sure. Fernando fucking Alonso at the mm-hmm. peak of his powers without a Definitely. title. Yeah. Vettel with two driver of the year contender seasons. Yeah. Not even bringing the title within two races of the end of the year. Mm-hmm. As you said, be careful what you wish for because Charles might hit that same wall of Ferrari's really good, but they're not good enough. I would be very careful. I say this as a Sebastian fan that has seen both sides of this fence. Like, we were mad cynical about Sebastian towards the end of his time at Red Bull, especially when Daniel Ricciardo came along. Ricciardo, for all the guys that thought Vettel was overrated because of that four-year quote-unquote dominant spell at Red Bull yeah. which he was their vindication yeah that's just it he was he was their nightmare fuel he was their vindication for the last four years like oh look he's been exposed as a total fraud he's gonna run out of Red Bull Wah! and then he went and joined Ferrari and was largely excellent right from the start and people stopped being cynical because he was the only guy that was giving Mercedes a fight at one point he was and even now with what what you would consider a terrible season. Mm. He's still only 13 points behind. It took him throwing his brain off the edge of a sheer cliff to actually be passed in the standings by Charles. Yeah. Leclerc has not actually been that much better than Sebastian this season in the grand scheme of things, even with two more wins to his name than Sebastian yeah. has had. And, and you have to also consider that we know how Vettel is with what he wants from his car. He needs the back of the car to stick to the road. When he gets that, and as we saw throughout the Red Bull years and then 2015 and 2017, there is few people quicker. There might be one person quicker. There might be nobody quicker, actually. Mm. But when he doesn't, he struggles. And right now the Ferrari is fundamentally opposed to his driving style. Mm -hmm. And Leclerc likes a car that pins the nose. He likes a loose car. To the point where that was actually hurting him at Sauber last year because the way he was setting up the car early on in the season didn't suit his driving style. And it didn't suit the car. Indeed. You could not get a worse scenario for Sebastian right now where you have someone tremendously talented in the other seat. And he's just, he's better with this type of car. Uh, I think think things are going to be a whole lot different next year. Because this year everyone going in, either they had... For for Sebastian Vettel, they ex- like 
they wanted him to challenge for the world championship. For Charles Leclerc, they either had no expectations or just simply wanted a race win. Next year for Charles is going to be different. The standards are going to be a whole lot higher to keep people pleased. This is exactly the point I was about to make. Like, this, like, I was going to say, as a guy that's seen both sides of this fence, there is a very, very big difference at how we perceive people when it's surprise upstart or surprise winner to now expected title contender. Sebastian Vettel had this problem. 2015, nobody gave him a prayer to win the championship. He was in the mix with the Mercedes throughout the majority of the year, and he was the only other man to win a race that year that wasn't in a Mercedes, right? And then we all and in a car that was the better part of a second a lap off. Yeah, and we all loved Sebastian again because he was the guy. He, he, he became the hero for dragging that Ferrari into contention on numerous occasions and genuinely giving that Mercs a bloody nose every once in a while. He was the then, heir apparent to Michael Schumacher. He was going to do what Schumacher did with Ferrari when hmm. they were in their down spell in the mid-90s. He can apply a similar argument to 2017 and, and how that season played out where Sebastian actually led the championship until that horrible afternoon in, in Singapore. And that's just it. 2018 then happened. We no longer look at Sebastian as, you know, surprise winner, you know, surprise winner and funny guy that's going to rough up the Mercedes every once in a while. And we're now looking at a card that people are thinking, hey, Sebastian should be thinking about winning the championship here. And then we did not give him the same benefit of the doubt when they struggled in the second half of that season. And of course, Germany onwards. The race that many argue is what was the game changer for Sebastian when he lost the lead in Germany that that from from the lead in that in his home Grand Prix, a race that he's you know never won around. Well, he's won one German Grand Prix, but it was at the Nurburgring, not at Hockenheim. Um, and yeah, how we perceive these drivers can often be very very different. And like, is is F one ready for the Claire the title contender? Are we going to look at him in the same light a year on when people are going to be expecting more out of him? I think I have a bigger question is, is Ferrari ready? Because Leclerc could run into the same problem where we know how good he is. Mm -hmm. As if it was in doubt before, it's not now. Mm -hmm. Does Ferrari build another red sled next year? And if they do... Because it's a total crapshoot. And like what I said with Ferrari, I don't know if I said it, but my thought process with Ferrari is... Bin the rest of this aerodynamic regulation set. Focus on 2021. Yeah, but can but can would Ferrari fans uh, put up with tanking for 2020 just to focus on 2021? No, because then the drivers aren't getting the results on track, and then they'll start calling for the heads of everyone in the technical department and probably both drivers. Yeah. So hey, it's a fickle thing. And that's how people treat Ferrari. We are fickle as shit about how they handle their F1 business. We expect them to be at the front, and anything less is a disappointment. Bruh, we're fickle as hell about Ferrari in general, because we are all excited about them potentially coming up to the top, but I don't think a lot of us would really want to see them have another run like they did in the urban 2000s. No. And that's just it. We would we will turn on them at a swing of a dime if we if we think they'll have any shade of dominance that's going to come their way. And that they are a- now what the Los Angeles Lakers are in basketball. Professional basketball's casting couch. Oh no. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, that was Ferrari for you. Um, again, a an interesting day at the office for Mercs. I I, I, I love the fact that. Uh, 
you know, Hamilton's mistake at turn one kind of took a difficult question out of James Foles' hands. I thought that was quite funny. It was like, hey, that's a beautifully timed mistake there, Hamilton. Well played. Very <laughs> interesting. As, as he would say. And again, like, can I go on a small tangent here for a second? Ah, uh, yes. Let's, go ahead. Forgive me. Um, be- I don't. I have to ask because, you know, I'm polite like that, but... Look, and I'm and I'm being blunt when I say this. Why is Lewis Hamilton so disingenuous? Like, it, he knows how to play the crowds. He really does, and you know what? Like, like his audience is like clearly like has an average mental age of twelve because they just keep falling for this shit every single time. It's like. I want to like Hamilton. Really, I do. I know he's a decent guy deep down. It's just... Look, I don't like the fact he was the first guy to congratulate Charles and shake his hand and said, well done, well driven, great drive. And then he immediately runs to the press box and says, that should have been a penalty. These young'uns get away with so much more these days. What the hell happened? Why was it given a penalty? Go on. As someone who watched the Mercedes title fight for 2014 to 2016, Lewis Hamilton is the last person allowed to bitch about running someone out of road into a corner. Never! You know, you know funny, thi- funny you mentioned that, because uh, who was Lewis <laughs> Hamilton uh, very much um, complimentary of um, in regards to their pointed criticism of a- another one of his, form- of his uh, former colleagues? Oh, One Max Verstappen. <laughs> yeah, who, it's... and Max Verstappen has effectively created this era where you want to run someone off the road to get a position. Go ahead. Well, one, it helps. It's not really penalized anymore. Was, you know that that's that's a big part exactly. of the problem. It's it's after Austria. You cannot penalize, and I personally don't agree. I don't like running other people out of road. I don't no, like I that agree. as a precedent. But. If you allow Max to keep the win in Austria where he just opened up the steering and ran Charles off the road, Mm -hmm. if you then take that from Leclerc in Monza, Mm -hmm. no one will escape that track alive. No. And it didn't help. Like I said, talking about Hamilton here for a sec, like this... This is good because this is interesting because like Hamilton earlier on in the race weekend on his Instagram story took a screenshot of a story where... Max Verstappen basically throws a heaping wallop of shade um, at Nico Rosberg, who, hey, I may or may not have made a video about this on the Motorsport 101 YouTube channel. Shameless plug. Click, click. Um, look, I don't make 20-minute videos because like that because I don't think the subject is interesting, and this one certainly was. For those guys who are not aware on this, Rosberg has become, shall we say, opinionated on his YouTube channel a lot. I've often praised him for saying he's been very good at, quote-unquote, playing the game on his YouTube channel in recent months. And I'll read you a part of this autosport story, and I'll let you gather your own conclusions about it. Max Verstappen thinks 2016 Formula 1 world champion Nico Rosberg has become the new Jacques Villeneuve by expressing outspoken views. Um, Speaking to Dutch media about Rosberg's remarks, Verstappen said... I think he's the new Jacques Villeneuve. Villeneuve has changed quite a bit, but it seems that Rosberg now and again wants to give a contrary opinion. But I really don't care what he says on his channels anyway. He does it very often. At the beginning of this year, he even called me a narcissist. That is very extreme. 
Verstappen accused Rosberg of only speaking out because he was trying to boost the followers of his YouTube channel and suggested he should have continued racing if he'd wanted to earn more money. Quote from Max, he has got no charisma and he doesn't get to work anywhere, added Verstappen. But hey, that's also his problem. Maybe he also wants to make money with his YouTube channel, but then he could have been better off driving because then he could have earned much more money. I believe as well in that, I don't think Oswald put it in the piece, but I think he also said that Rosberg had no credibility as a pundit or a driver. Um, Funny how that works out when Rosberg dunked Verstappen through the floor to win a world title. Yeah. A, one of the passes of the year and a move that was critical to him winning the championship. Yeah, Rosberg's not Jack Villeneuve because Rosberg didn't spend nine years totally irrelevant after winning his one and only world title. He knew when to get gone. <laughs> yeah, and it's just... I also I love that Rezzy in the chat just uh, went, what's inaccurate about this statement is he has yet to release a shitty solo album. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but, look... I'll say this for free. Rosberg knows exactly what he's doing. Uh, like, you don't get to where he is in life by being an idiot. He's an incredibly intelligent man. He knows exactly what buttons to push and what cards to play. Um, also, I love that Lewis is put in there. What do you mean, Britney had tons of hits? Um, <laughs> but uh, no, like, Rosberg knows exactly what he's doing. He knows how to play this game. And he probably also is smart enough to realise that Formula 1 drivers are horribly insecure people, especially Verstappen and Hamilton, who by a country mile are the two most, shall we say, most prone to bite on criticism in the in the paddock compared to everybody else. Um, Softest. Red yeah, you can, free. Like no, I said. R- Rosberg has a five-star hotel in there. Oh, oh yeah. Like, if there is any other argument left that Rosberg isn't living rent-free in Hamilton's head, like, this was the seal, this was this sealed the deal, because I remember Hamilton was asked about it on Friday after practice, and he said indirectly that he thought it was a shame that certain drivers felt like they were desperate to hold on to the limelight. And, I mean, that's a clear-as-day indirect shot at Nico Rosberg and Jack Villeneuve. I mean, come on. Like, we're not stupid. We, we, we know where this I, is directed at. And... I don't necessarily agree with the sentiment, but Hamilton's making it pretty easy for people to point to the title he lost rather than all the ones that he's winning. Like I said on, twi- like I said on, on Twitter at, at the time, like, like for you guys who are snooker fans out there, you'll know exactly what I'm referencing here. It's the Steve Davis problem. Steve Davis lost the most famous snooker match of all time when he lost in, in the last frame of the World Championship to Dennis Taylor. I think it was 1985. Yeah. But people people forget Steve Davis is also a six-time World Champion. He, he, he made seven finals and he won six of them. But and they don't talk about the ones they won. They just talk about the ones that they lost. And to be fair, so does Steve Davis on the television. He does, and to be fair, the difference is Davis has totally owned it. He's even recreated that frame several times over, um, including on BBC itself, believe it or not, which was actually, if you haven't seen it, it's a great watch. I, go, I, go, I recommend you go out of your way to see it. It's very funny, and because I think like, like Dennis and Taylor, Davis and, and Taylor go on tours together, they're, they're part-time comedians, they're very, very funny people. Go out of your way to see it. Point is... I understand that you're going to be mad about the, t- the one time you got beaten. You ridiculously competitive people. I totally get it. Like, 
And, and I mentioned that in the video I made as well. It's okay to be mad when somebody beats you. You're a highly competitive sportsman. I'm not going to begrudge you that. But be more it, honest about the fact that it upsets you that the guy won that title. Like it's, it's And we're three years on as well. Yeah, it's three years ago, and he still insists on taking these thinly veiled shots at Rosberg, which even then I could justify. But then he's got to go one stage further because... This is a guy that insists on building himself up to be the still I rise, rise above hate. Stop talking about these haters. Surround yourself with positivity bullshit that I expect out of yoga instructors. Like I, Or like, John I Cena. Un- <laughs> right. <laughs> da, 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 da. Another person who always poses themselves as the underdog when they are clearly number one and on top and have been for years. It's nonsense. It's like... It's just it just comes across it's, as fake. It, it's the same thing with uh, with Mercedes earlier in the year when they were acting like they weren't beating the field bloody. Just own your dominance. Right, like don't assume your audience is stupid. You will get figured out. Like we were not born yesterday. We get it. We understand that athletes are competitive people that are going to be assholes about the times they lost. No one expects you to be a good loser. Like, honestly, like, I get it. I totally get it. Just don't build yourself up as Mr. Fake Empathy Positivity Guy when you're clearly still bitter about 2016. Be out, be honest about it. Just say, you know what? I was really upset that Rosberg beat me for a world championship and then went went on and retired so I never had the chance to avenge my title. Like some sort of bad pro wrestling storyline. Like, just own it, Lewis. Don't fucking half arse it. It's really annoying. Like, that's that's just my tangent. I had to get that off my chest because, don't get me wrong, I find what Rosberg is doing to be fascinating and I actually really, to a degree, enjoy it. I don't actually enjoy watching his videos, but I actually enjoy seeing the impact he has on the paddock and actually seeing, you know, how this plays out on people. Because I agree with Max. I don't think he's that great a pundit. And I don't think he's all that charismatic. But it works. He gets in people's heads. And I I love he's that. He's taken the mind games out of, you know, his racing career and into his his pundit career. Yeah. And, that and they're working on everyone. Yeah, because he, he doesn't have to be charismatic. He just needs, you know, important people to react to what he says. And that's just it. He got he got his bite. He got two delicious bites out of Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton that weekend. I mean, don't get me wrong. Rosberg, like, apparently made a video this weekend claiming he's going to change his approach to his YouTube channel. I'll believe that when I see it because it's going far too well for him, for him to, I think, to change. Like, why would you change a winning formula? Like, I'm looking at it right now. I'm just doing a quick Google search. He has 630,000 subscribers. And he literally just streamed a video three hours ago talking about whether Leclerc gets a, should have gotten a penalty or not. Like, man ain't going to change shit, okay? Speaking like, of which, the BBC was having in full meltdown when Leclerc put his move on Hamilton. <sighs> should How that have been broadcasted anymore? I... If we're judging it by the letter of the law, and that's always the big thing here, it probably should have been a penalty, and it was a penalty last year. Lewis actually had a good point. Mm. Verstappen did the same thing to Bottas last year going into turn one and was penalized for it. 
Again, I'm going to assume the lack of contact in this one is what probably what made Leclerc get away. There was, I think, slight, slight contact. I think there was wheel-to-wheel contact. Yeah, Mm. that's about it. But at the same time, the FIA set the precedent in Austria. Yeah. And it cost someone a win in that respect. It's exactly what I said on Twitter on Sunday. Hey, Austria set the tone. You can now run a guy at least two wheels off without punishment now. That's the, that's going to be the rule. And Leclerc even admitted it this morning in press conferences to the Italian media. Where he said, yeah, I knew I was going to step over the line to defend the win. Because he's been yeah. burned on it before. Yeah, and Lewis but, said that if he wasn't fighting for the title, he would have crashed them both out of the race. <laughs> Hamilton was Kind of funny how that, that works. Ha- ha- that's that's for the shit. Hamilton, there's no way Hamilton was thinking... World title. I'm going to duck out of the way as he's going into a braking zone at 205 <laughs> miles an hour. And in the event that he was, Spa 2014 has entered the chat. Right. Like, again, I'll believe that when I see it. Um, so, you know, it, it is what it is. Like, I think they ultimately made the right call. I'm glad they let this one stand. However, I would like to. I would like more clarification on where the line is for moves like this. That's all I ask because if we don't get greater clarity on incidents like this, we're going to keep having this conversation over and over again, and no one is going to know what a penalty is. It's going to be the NFL. It's like what the hell is a catch, and it's going to be well, what the hell is a a, a defensive move that's too far? Because Leclerc turned in a braking zone. He squeezed the guy two wheels off the track. And was only given a warning because he didn't he didn't have contact because Hamilton did the right thing and got out of the way and you know put his car in potential trouble by doing so. Is that the sort of precedent you want? Like I'm not sure. Like oh, and that's where the precedent is right now, because as you said, we need to know where the line is. We kind of know where the line is now, where, as you said, you can run someone off the road and you'll get a warning, but you won't get anything mm-hmm. more. If yeah. you just do it that one time. And it's yeah, damn just, sure not pass interference. Yeah, if you if you just do it that one time, you'll be fine. You do it again. I don't know what's gonna happen if you do it again, because I haven't seen anyone do it again. Oh, are we are we now allowed a coach's challenge on like one defensive block now? Is that it? Like <laughs> I'm, I'm getting my red flag out of my sock. Give me a second. I'm getting but my the- yellow flag out, which, is mm-hmm. that a good segue? <laughs> it is a good segue, because uh, I'm going to run down the rest of the field and talk about some of these other stories that are in the field, and there's some good ones in here. As mentioned, Charles Leclerc winning by 0.8 of a second over Valtteri Bottas in the end. Lewis Hamilton third, took a late pit stop at the end of the race for the fastest lap bonus point, which he got, so he gets 16 points there in third. And then... For the first time since 2008, both Renaults in the top five. Daniel Ricciardo finishing fourth with Hulkenberg fifth. 22 points for the Renault team. And King breathes a deep sigh of relief in the background. (laughs) Yep, because, man, it just took one dodgy pass for, like, fucking Hamilton and Leclerc to just take each other out, and it would have been a real bad day for me. (laughs) Indeed. But I do have to ask one question, King. Because it's something that was brought to our attention on the Motorsport 101 Twitter account. Um, what's the deal with uh, your certain nickname for the top six? <laughs> now, are you going to read this message out or am I? You read it out. 
He's referring to the odds of Nico Hulkenberg ever actually getting that first podium. Um, and the, uh, the quote from a certain Ryan King here says, <clears throat> I fully trust that the big dick six of Hamilton, Bottas, Vettel, Leclerc, Verstappen and Albon can keep Hulk off the podium. <laughs> <laughs> big, big dick six king. No, that's going to be Nico Rosberg's second channel name. <laughs> uh, I, I, can I hand King. in my resignation <laughs> King explain yourself so I had a prop bet with a group of people over this race saying that I would fulfill the banana bet if Nico Hulkenberg somehow got a podium yesterday so let me get this straight <laughs> You, your bet was eating a banana. You no, were no, in a secret. No, 12 bananas. So your bet was eating 12 bananas, right, in a secret group of people, and your nickname for the enemies were the Big Dick Six. King, is there something you're not telling us about your life? Does it involve car keys in a, but does it involve car keys in a punch bowl? No, you're, you're making very bold assumptions. But not inaccurate ones. Very inaccurate ones. <laughs> Big Dick Six, the Nico Rosberg gaming channel. King, I think you've never been more on brand. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Um, <laughs> but congrats to Renault. Hey, they were fast all weekend long, in all fairness. And yeah, fourth and fifth for the Renault boys. Great performance from them. Alex Albon, who uh, was in the wars for a lot of the weekend, including a... Uh, a controversial wheel, uh, wheel-to-wheel fight with Carlos Sainz that put Albon on the gravel at the first Lesmo. Um, he came back and would finish in sixth. Mm. It looks like Albon certainly gets stronger as the race goes on, I've noticed. That's uh, a nice little observation from him. Sixth place for Alex Albon there. Or as we like to call it, about 0.9 Pierre Gasly's. Um, <laughs> in seventh place, Sergio Perez. Max Verstappen. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, go on. Sergio Perez. We need to talk about this, man. Oh, yes, yes. Um, Did anybody see his social media on on Sunday morning? Um, He may or may not have taken to Instagram, um, as we all do these days. On his story, he posted, of course, in Monzi, you got to have the local pizza. Apparently, Daniel Ricciardo has had four this weekend already. Um, Whoa. He said so on his radio. Yeah, yeah, four pizzas. What a guy. Um, a man after my own heart, I've heard you say so myself. Um, but Checo put a picture of, on his Instagram of a pizza, and I had a look of disgust. Um, it was a pizza that had chips on it. Now, that's already... That's French fries and American money. <laughs> yeah, that's he's, he's already got chips on his pizza, which I thought, hmm... I don't know um, about this one, Chief. I don't know, and, and then he's got... Tuna on it as well. Sergio Perez is cancelled for the rest of time. Is he more cancelled than John Eric Verne, who we've learned warms up his milk before he puts the cereal in, inferring that he puts the milk in first and then adds the cereal? (laughs) Um, Uh, uh, They're both both in the bin. Verne is on probation. Checo can get in the bin. Um, That is disgraceful conduct. Like, listen, I could just about get away with chips on a pizza, which is just sacrilege to me because you've already you're already eaten a shit ton of dough. Why would you put potato on top of that? Like, just, no. 
but then you go and put tuna on it, which is just nasty. I hate tuna to begin with, and then tuna on a pizza with cheese and tomato, and it stinks, and it's just, no! 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 It's a bad just, time for everyone involved. I'm deep, I'm, I'm deeply offended. I'm, I'm just, oh, I need counselling for that. What the fuck, Checo? Do better. Make better life choices. Just, just, no. Mmm. No, 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 no. Like, I thought pineapple was bad, but tuna, fuck me. <laughs> uh, no, Jesus Christ. Max Verstappen was eighth. Now, if you haven't talked about Max for the most of this podcast, um, you're basically wondering why. He didn't qualify. He had to start at the back of the field because uh, Red Bull Racing Honda made it quite clear they were taking an engine penalty for this round. So that was always the plan. And Verstappen's plan got somewhat curtailed early on when he had to uh, take evasive action at turn one on the opening lap. He didn't really break enough for turn one. And, he, and as a result, he kind of boxed himself into the outside of the corner and then made contact. Yeah. City Max. After a half a, of a spectacular year, starting to see a little bit of a relapse into the Max of old. He's got to clean Look, up his act. Just as we were all propping up his outside title, Popes. Mmm. Damn. Hate it when that happens. And Albon has outscored him. This is completely not legit, by the way. I think 18-4 to four in two races. Hmm. Yeah, and the first time they've raced head-to-head together, I know Albon started further ahead up the grid, but it's 1-0 Albon. Hey. Hey. And hey, Antonio Giovinazzi made up for lost sins as well after... after Gio awful... has passed Kubica in the standings. Woo! Go, Gio! Hell yeah. Two points, ninth place finish for Antonio Giovinazzi for the Alfa Romeo team, making up for the awful eighth place final lap bin job he had in Spa a week ago. Good job, Gio. Um, home points, uh, so, so great well done him. Lando Norris rounding off the points in tenth place. Um, further down the field, Pierre Gasly in eleventh for Toro Rosso, Lance Stroll twelfth for racing point. Sebastian Vettel, as mentioned before, in thirteenth after the penalties. George Russell in a surprisingly high fourteenth place for for Williams. That boy's doing the Lord's work. Um, Kimi Raikkonen in fifteenth place. He was a lap off the top himself. Um, Romain Grosjean in 16th Robert Kubica in 17th now two laps down and heavily rumoured to be losing his seat at the end of the year for Nicholas Latifi more on that when we get it Um, three DNFs Kevin Magnussen for the Haas team who continue their miserable season Danilo Kvyat who had an oil leak on lap 29 and poor Carlos Sainz Jr who... Back to back deep mechanical DNS for the young Spaniard. This time a we- his wheel failed. Like, again, it was a pit stop error in the pits. McLaren didn't get the front tire on properly, and Carlos had to pull over and park it. God damn it, McLaren. And then yeah, after the, the race, he got a cup check from Lando Norris. Oh. Not, the, not the cup check. Oh. For, for the team that is. Has- uh, other than really this race and a select few, has been clearly the fourth best. McLaren seems to either bring home a huge haul of points, or they just blow the fuck up. One point in the last two rounds. I mean, yeesh. And they still have a yawning chasm to everyone behind them. (laughs) Oh dear. More on that soon. But, uh, yeah, championship standings... As we get into the uh, Twilight episode of the season, uh, Singapore next up... Um, 
We are done. We are virtually done with Europe, yo, um, for the year. Um, I, I guess if you want to count Russia, you know, let you be the judge. Um, Lewis Hamilton's extended his championship lead. Stop me if you've heard that one before. He's now um, six. No, he did. No, actually, he no, did he not. He lost a couple of points. He lost two points to Valtteri. Actually, my correction. Yeah, quite my bad. What quite a disaster! Right. How I know. will he ever recover? Uh, poor guy. I mean, shit. What a, what a game changer. Yeah, he lost two points to Valtteri. He still has a sixty-three point lead in the championship. Two eighty-four to Bottas. Two twenty-one. Max Verstappen on one eighty-five in third. Who's starting to starting to uh, spin his wheels a little bit there because the Ferraris are starting to reel him in. Charles Leclerc only three points behind now on 182 after back-to-back wins. He's finally overtaken Sebastian Vettel into fifth place. He's on 169. Nice. Nice. Thank you. Um, so, yeah. And then in the Battle of Formula 1.5, sort of, Pierre Gasly's on 65 points in sixth. Carlos Sainz on 58 um, then Ricardo and Alex Albon both on 34 points as Albon makes his way up the field, given the uh, rocket ship he's got as a, as a car now as an advantage. Ricardo Kibia- made a big jump with his fourth place. He did. He's up to eighth place now on 34 points, um, ahead of ahead of Albon on countback, funnily enough. Um, and Kvyat rounds off the top 10 on 33 points, two points ahead of Hulkenberg and Raikkonen in 11th and 12th. Constructor standings, well... <sighs> Stop me with this one before, folks. 154 points is the lead for Mercedes now, uh, with seven rounds to go. Um, expect another American party the way this season's going. Maybe even in Mexico. Huzzah. Um, so yeah, they're 154 ahead of Ferrari on 351. Red Bull starting to starting to fall back here now. They're on 266 in third. And as Cam alluded to, McLaren's still comfortable in that battle for fourth. Renault did take a good chunk of points out of him this time round, but they are still in the lead, 83 to 65 for Renault. Toro Rosso now in sixth on 51 points. Again, no points this weekend for them. Racing Point chipped into their advantage a little bit there. They have they had the seventh place finish for Checo. Shame about the pizza. They're now on 46 points in seventh. Um, Alfa Romeo in 8th on 34 Haas still on 26 They have not scored points since Germany And Williams still at the back of the field with 1 Also, shout out to Lando Norris Very cool Valentino Rossi helmet, I have to say That was uh, that was awesome We had a few uh, really nice uh, custom helmets I want to give a shout out especially to Pierre Gasly Who ran an Antoine Hubert helmet that was just a wonderful tribute. Mm. Beautiful indeed. Lando Norris um, switched his colours around as a, in a, as a Valentino Rossi tribute because he loves Valentino. Don't know why. Um, You've seen the man's like jacket a... and his hat? It's top, yellow from top <laughs> to bottom. Yellow. Just bright fluorescent yellow. Just oof. Oh dear. Um, but uh, yeah, that and many others. Sebastian Vettel's one was very, very nice as well. Very old school, rustic Italian. God, I love it. Um, but yeah, this was another great Grand Prix. It's actually getting really annoying to say that now Formula One's had like six of these in a row now. Like, It's had six very good to outstanding races. And uh, if only we had a title fight, wouldn't it be great? That's, that's really what this year is missing. Yeah, that's that's about it. The racing's been great, and uh, come on, had... Sochi, put us back to sleep. We need the rest. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get through Singapore first. <laughs> yes, uh, we do. 
Singapore Grand Prix in a fortnight's time. That's going to be in a big doubleheader episode with the IndyCar season finale at Laguna Seca. That will be in a fortnight's time. I can't wait to get my yeah. sadly that one. sadly for the racing quality. Well, that Mercedes Aero package that was terrible, and yet they still got a double podium for Monza. It's mm. back in its element at Singapore. Made a good lord. Help us uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not exactly uh, looking forward to that one. That's going to be a uh, oof. It's going to be an almighty clobbering, I reckon. It's, uh, but hey, we got to look forward to that. Singapore, two weeks time. Looking forward to that. So after this quick musical interlude, we'll be back to uh, talk about Formula Two and Formula Three, and then World Superbikes at Portimao. See you then. When the sport that brings you joy suddenly brings you heartbreak, you are confronted with a choice. Stop and despair, or endure and continue. The drivers reject despair, not because they do not grieve, but because they are determined in their defiance. Know this with certainty, Antoine Hubert will never be forgotten. He was special on and off the track, and the 17 on the grid today choose to honour him. They choose to race. RJ, talk to us about Formula 2 and 3. Uh, well, as mentioned, we're we're back to Formula 2. Of course, last week we we tried to have a race. It all went terribly, awfully wrong. We only had 17 cars show up today. Arden ran one car, Sauber ran one car, and Trident ran one car because uh, Giuliano Lacey's car from Belgium was actually impounded, so they could only keep one driver, and Ralph Boschung was the odd man out so with a with a trunk created grid we we kept on we kept on racing we did not give in to despair and qualifying gave us a good moment when Callum Iblet took his first feature race pole position uh he of course his teammate to Juan Manuel Correa and uh just shortly after the news of Juan Manuel's conditioning worsening again much strength Juan Manuel um Callum Iblet Got getting on pole position and tried to start the hashtag win one for one. Ultimately, it didn't play out like that, though Callum Eilat did get a pretty respectable fourth place finish, all things considered. It was Nobuhara Matsushita making it two for two for Honda Juniors in the feature race at Monza, taking his second feature race win of the season for Carlin. And then you had Luca Giotto and Nick DeVries coming back from way, way down to finish second and third, respectively. Giotto, after coming back from 13th, getting a fantastic start, having having a mess up on his pit stop that put him way down the order, and then just driving through the field to finish second. And Nick DeVries, after being excluded from qualifying, coming all the way back from 17th to third and the podium which especially helped considering Nicholas Latifi finished a lap down in 13th and didn't score points. Yeah, if you haven't seen it on YouTube, go out of your way to find the uh, Formula 2 feature they just did on, uh, and the aforementioned uh, Giotto and uh, and DeVries comeback. Great drives from the pair of them. Very impressive stuff indeed, especially in Giotto's case, who had everything go against him out there while the kitchen sink and still found the way to uh, get on the podium. He would, Great drives. He would there. not be denied a podium at home. Although, I will say, uh, Mick Schumacher would be denied a finish because his engine gave out. Juan Yu Zhao had collision damage. Tatiana Calderon had a spin. Louis Delatraz had a spin. And let's just cut this off at the pass. 
No, finishing 10th in a feature race with a lot of attrition with an already truncated grid does not definitively prove that Mahavir Ragunathan is definitively better than Tatiana Calderon or anybody else that does not have zero points. Thank you. Let's go to the sprint race. Man's <laughs> finished. No, can we just say, man's finished. All right, the next the next uh, finisher ahead of him was Sean Galeo. 38.8 seconds off the win. Ragunathan, one minute and 12 seconds off. This was by far his best race, but no, he is not definitively better than whoever else you want to trash. Yeah, he, I, j- he literally got the point for finishing the race. Which is fine. You, you gotta survive in advance. I'm just saying it does not definitively make him a better driver than whoever else you want to punch down at. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't even like the punch down because if Tatiana Calderon's your high bar, given the way her season's played out, then I'm saying I would ha- I would have Tatiana Calderon with. on my team twenty times out of ten before I had Mergunathan. Hell yeah, only twenty. That's not a very bold statement, there, RJ. I'm just saying <laughs> like, we can do better than this, you know. Like we can. sprint race, Jack Aitken takes his third win of the season. Jordan King finishes second. Congratulations, King. Well done under podium. I know. Uh, Nick DeVries got another podium, and Guan Yu Zhao came all the way back from 17th and finished 4th. It was a great day in the points for Nick DeVries. You know who it wasn't mm. a good day in the points for? Nicholas Latifi. Oh, no. Because a 10th place finish. Yeah, he did not score points, so now Nick DeVries goes into the Sochi weekend with a 59-point advantage. So there's two race meetings and only four races left. DeVries could have this wrapped up before we're even finished at Sochi. And it could have some weird implications, which we'll get to in the news section. News implications. (laughs) News implications, indeed. Oh, goodness, yes. So, just to quickly skim over your driver's championship, DeVries on 225, Latifi once it's... Luca Giotto flew all the way up to 155. He's now third in the standings, and he's only 11 points back of Latifi. Aitken is now fourth on 153, and Sede Camera is fifth on 151 points. And in the team's championship, it's Dams 317, Uni Virtuosi, the artist formerly known as Russian Time, on 270, Never Forget, Do It for Lana, and ART Grand Prix on 231. One with a free? Yeah. Um... The last thing I think any of us wanted to see was a spectacular wreck. And then oh my in the goodness. feature race, we uh we got we one. We got one. We got an absolutely fucking massive crash. On the outside of Parabolica, in order to prevent track extension, there is a very, very big sausage curb. Uh. Well, you know how racing drivers are and how they will uh <clears throat> not really care about pushing the limits. Yeah. Yeet themselves. Well, this was a yeet to end all yeets. Mans flew through the air. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. This was a launched into the fence. Yes. It launched him in the fence over the tire over the top of the tire barriers and coming to the stop on top of him. He was very lucky to have only walked away with a vo- broken vertebrae and a concussion. His car landed halo first on the top of the barrier. Yeah. If anyone has anything bad left to say about the halo, fuck off. Yeah. And it, the halo was specifically designed to stop an accident like this because someone, unfortunately, in International Formula 3000 lost their life in an accident 
pretty much, you know, shot for shot. That was this. Yeah, that was uh, that was Marco Campos in 1995. That was the last fatality at that level before Huber's wreck just last week. Um, just some things. No, just paving it, just tearing it all up and putting gravel traps over there isn't going to fix all the problems, especially when consider Italy want Monza wants to host bike racing. That's not going to fly. The second thing, you don't see Formula 1 cars do this because Formula 2 and Formula 3 cars are slammed to the ground with less rake. Yeah, they are generally pure ground effect cars. They have to be much closer to the ground to get their aerodynamics working. So they have no real travel over a curb. If you go over a curb, it's not good. Yeah, you remember about five years ago when Konstantin Tereshenko basically launched up into the air with iRacing physics when he spun around and launched up back end first over one of these? Yep. Yeah, that's one of the first incidents I thought of. (laughs) Oh, dear. That was a brutal one. Oh, dear. Um, It's brutal. Um, Get rid of sausage curbs. They serve no good purpose. In fact, the FIA seems to agree. Yeah, because they were gone. Because they're getting rid of sausage curbs. Yeah, they were, to instance, that curb that Peroni launched over was gone by the time they did qualifying later that day, where people were still taking liberties with that white line at the exit of Parabolica. But hey, driver's gonna be punished, Joe. Driver's gonna be punished, etc. Um, um, yes, and out of all that, hey, we still had a race. Robert Schwartzman won the feature, um, and uh, Marcus Armstrong would have finished second on the road. But the only problem was he was penalized a significant amount of time, and that's basically his title aspirations done because that dropped him to twenty first. So Jerion Daravala inherits the second place, and Yuki Tsunoda inherits his first feature race podium, and then goes on to win the sprint race the following day, ahead of Liam Lawson in second, and Jake Hughes in third. So now with one race mating left to go, it's Schwartzman on 180 points with a 33-point lead over Daravala. Yuri Vips had, uh, had a shocker of a weekend, to say the least. He's now down oh on 122. Oh my god. Yeah, and Armstrong now down on 119. Yikes. Yeah, again, their season finale is in Sochi. Shall I talk about all two blacks for a bit? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, after a very, very long, God, too long summer break. Walter Blacks came back. It's back at Portimao. Yay! We like Portimao around here. Yes, we also, do. thank. I remember a while ago when we were just, we had a total ban on World Superbike discussions on the show. <laughs> yeah, we had, a, we had a total ban on World Superbike discussions until Batista could win. <laughs> well, you know what, King? They both split a Grand Prix each. Yeah! The world is in perfect harmony. <laughs> Except for the fact come... that it is now a 91-point gap at the front. Silence! <laughs> yeah, this was an interesting weekend in general. Um, in race one, uh, Bautista at, at the opening corner got heated off the road due to a very aggressive um, early overtake from his teammate Chaz Davies. Um, which aggressive not... is the understatement of the year. Oh yeah. my goodness. It was a yeet, for, for lack of a better term. That was a public um, lobby was... move. Yeah. <laughs> Hard pass, hard pass. 
like I would say, barely on the grounds of what you would call acceptable. Um, Chaz yanked Bautista off the apex. Bautista had dropped to about 15th place, had to make his way back through the field, and did probably with the back of his helmet on fire, like something out of Ghost Rider, um, quite frankly. But at the front, Jonathan Ray won pretty comfortably in race one, ahead of the aforementioned Chaz Davies, and Michael Vandermark in third, with Bautista in fourth, beating Leon Haslam over the line on the final lap, with Top Rack in sixth place um, on that one. Um, Jonathan Ray winning that one fairly comfortably in the end. Um, Super Pole race, um, yeah, like, yeah, that was that was fun. Um, Jonathan Ray took that one as well. Um, again, Bautista had to he had a bit of a bad start, lost about three four places. Again, he had to work his way up the field. Eventually, got up to second place. Ran out of time to go after Jonathan himself, but so Jonathan won the Super Bowl race as well. Race two, we had beef, um, and this was a uh, long-awaited fight between uh, Bautista and Jonathan. Smell that. The beef oh, yeah. cooking. Mm-hmm. This is we've been waiting for this one for a while. Um, Bautista and Ray having a fight on relatively even footing um, around here, except for one big element. Um, Bautista's bike was a rocket ship. That Panigale is um, so fucking fast in a straight line. Six six miles an hour faster than. Uh, than, uh, yeah, the uh, Yamahas in the You can track. tell. You can tell when Ray is trying. They oh, were yeah. both trying real damn hard. Oh yeah, they were both all out. And, and remember, this is with Bautista on a very badly injured shoulder. Indeed, his his shoulder is still at best tender, shall we say? Um, and yeah, it was actually Alvaro Bautista that won the war in that one, beating Ray over the line. Well, he was never going to lose a drag race now, was he? Um, <laughs> beating Ray over the line by a tenth of a second in the end, um, with Toprak Razgatioglu in third. Um, funnily enough, they were testing here at Portimao a week before. Fun fact, and this is from our boy Greg Haynes, Toprak was actually eating lunch with the Yamaha crew ahead of his Almost inevitable move to the Yamaha team, which hasn't been officially announced yet, but most likely will very, very soon. Um, but yeah, he was eating lunch with the Yamaha boys. He's already making himself at home. One foot out the door, our Turkish son. Um, but yeah, as as Lewis mentioned in the chat, Gray was meant to clean up around here. He loves Portimao. He's dominated around here for years past. Didn't quite get it his own way, but he did steal a win out of him, but... As Lewis mentioned to you, like Bautista throwing away over 100 points is going to come back to really bite him now because, hey, Jonathan's not going to have bad days. He just no. doesn't have them. No, it's the same thing with Mark Marquez. You can pull all the points you want out of them. You will drop the bike and he won't. Yeah. And at this point, I'm not exactly going to start trusting Bautista again after a string of silly crashes. Um, to call me nervous on that one, shall we say. But, uh, yeah, like, as mentioned, it is now a 91-point lead for Jonathan Ray in the championship. He's got 490 points. Tavara Bautista's 399. Technically, Jonathan can wrap it up at Magni Corps um, next weekend. 
unlikely, mathematically speaking, but still an outside chance. Most likely, he'll win it with a round to spare anyway. So, sod it. Who cares, really? Um, Alex Lowe's leading the best of the rest chase on 249. Five points ahead of his teammate, Michael Vandermark and Leon Haslam in fifth on 229. There's still a lot of rumours floating that Alex Lowe's might go to Kawasaki. But, uh... I'm hearing talk in the camp that they, they, they like Haslam. I, they, I, I think Haslam will stay for another year. I think winning the Suzuka 8 hours apparently has put him in very good stead in with the boys in the camp. As it would. Yeah, and yeah. not riding in the Suzuka 8 hours has had Top Rack thinking about other rides. Yeah, <laughs> probably going to Yamaha. It's all but confirmed he's going to Yamaha next year to be Vandermark's teammates, which, woof. Um... Like Lewis is putting in, uh, like like Lewis is putting it out there. Maybe he'll go to a GRT Yamaha in, instead of the uh, re- retiring Melandry. That could be a fault. Mm. Um, they also confirmed Tom Sykes will be staying with BMW for another year as well. Um, obviously, that'll be the team of Sykes and Laverty at BMW for next season. So, uh, very nice team and in, 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 on paper that for BMW for next year. Those are. Two very, very solid guys out there as well. So keep an eye on that as well. As mentioned, MagniCore coming up in a fortnight's time. Um, That's on September 28th and 29th. Um, And hey, just just to quit it out of the way as well. There was also wins for Federico Caracasulo in the World Supersport race and Scott DeRue winning in Supersport 300. Oh, so Superbike's out of the way. If you haven't got video passes or whatnot, check out the race two. Great fight between Ray and Bautista. Certainly worth a watch as far as I'm concerned. Um, Happy one year anniversary, the highest rule. We don't have to explain you this weekend. Thank fuck for that. <laughs> <laughs> Into the news, everybody. So, uh, big one. This one came through about five hours ago. <laughs> Ladies, gentlemen, <laughs> and friends and acquaintances beyond the binary. We got him! Rich gone! <laughs> Rich energy is up out the paint. <laughs> Finally! We can go home! <laughs> you are all free now! We are and the old. cars are still going to be the same color. But the branding is gone. Us F1 team and Rich Energy have amicably... <laughs> I can't even get that far before everybody bursts in a chuckles. Amicably agreed to end their partnership together in the FIA Formula One World Championship with immediate effect. While enjoying substantial brand recognition and significant spot exposure through its title partnership of Haas F1 team in 2019, our corporate restructuring process of Rich Energy will see the need for a revised global strategy. Subsequently, Haas and Rich Energy concluded a termination of the existing partnership was the best way forward for both parties. Haas F1 team would like to express its thanks and best wishes to the stakeholders at Rich Energy. <laughs> <laughs> 
What stakeholders? <laughs> People still have money in this shit? Man, this is like, reminds me any time when the WWE puts out a statement saying they released a, you know, released a wrestler and at the end it always says, best wishes on their future endeavors. You know they're pissed off at them when they don't include that statement at the end. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> we let this guy go. End of message. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> Very good. Rich is gone, and uh, we will not miss them. Um, <laughs> still still going to follow him on Twitter, because they're still going to pop off. When we say nothing of value was lost, never before has it been truer. <laughs> Indeed, and that's all the time I want to give Rich Energy on this goddamn podcast. Moving on. <laughs> We, let's let's talk a bit of IndyCar, and uh, we have a awesome moment for our favourite wholesome IndyCar dog. My boy! <laughs> is it, this Norman! Is, this is Norman, my good luck charm. <laughs> Simon, father of Norman, has gotten his son on the baby Borg Warner trophy. Norman's on the trophy, baby! Oh, Lord. That's so adorable. <laughs> the guys on Discord the Bork Warner, the baby Bork Warner. The I think they should set, they should set a precedent for this. Um, that you know every driver, every winning champion's driver's pet should be on the trophy as well. Uh, so see a lot of Roscoe and Coco on the FIA World Drivers <laughs> Championship trophy. Just uh, saying. Uh, <laughs> oh fuck no. <laughs> Wham bam, no thank you, ma'am. Um, but uh, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's 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 delightful. I love it. Have some fun. Have some fun. Get the dog on the damn trophy. Like like, I, I I would love to have heard the conversation before that. It's like no no. If we're doing this, you are molding a picture of my dog too. I I, I love and, it. Uh, if I could, if I can bring up the picture. I'll put it in the chat of uh Oh god. Norman being Norman being modeled for the trophy. Oh yeah? There it is. It's what? too high res for Discord. Fuck. Oh, for... <laughs> we're, see, there we we're, go. we're a highly professional podcast here, everybody. Yeah. We have this Oh uh, Oh my gosh. This is not a visual medium, but oh he cute. <laughs> Look at this lad. The absolute lad. Oh, I want to pull his cheeks. <laughs> oh, you gotta love it. If you haven't seen it, go out of your way to find the pictures. They're very adorable of Norman Pagano and uh, yeah, Simon's son. It's uh, very beautiful to see. Formula E, everybody. And uh, another one of these, I think, worst kept secrets um, in Formula E has come to pass regarding some of its driver market moves. King? Yes, it has been announced today that uh, replacing a departing Antonio Felix da Costa, Maximilian Gunther will be leaving Dragon Racing and moving to Andretti BMW. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Thick news. Oh, that's, that, that's hot. Um, <clears throat> somebody get the baby oil out. Um, <laughs> that's filth. Um... I think that's banned in about 13 states. Um, uh, yeah, buckshot, buckshot Gunther, as we affectionately call him on the podcast. 
Uh, Hazel, if you're listening, uh, please get the entire formerly press room to refer to refer to Maximilian <laughs> oh, <no>. Cooper as <laughs> Sorry, I'm 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 fu- I'm just furiously rubbing my knees at the very thought. Yeah, Maximilian Gunther, <laughs> by the way, was carrying Dragon Racing on his back all season when he was there. So I like this move. As yeah, he was like he was generally considered the consensus rookie of the year. Pretty much, that that yeah. totally makes sense. And um, this does open up the other the t- the other seat at Tachita still open, and that might be that's been watermarked for DaCosta for weeks. Oh, God, I, I it has to be DaCosta. It can't be anyone but oh shit, someone's calling me. It has to be DaCosta. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you mention that? Who's the driver on the phone? That might that might be Hazel. Like verifying a story. <laughs> <laughs> No, yes, I was also about to talk about uh, the fact that Mercedes are going to Mercedes Formula E team are about to announce their driver lineup um, tomorrow as of recording, which is going to be weird. Yeah. So by the time this episode comes out, you'll know that the drivers are driver one and driver two, (laughs) though. Uh, pretty much everyone is heavily rumored that the driver lineup will be Stoffel Van Dorn returning and the current Formula 2 championship leader, Nick DeVries. I like it. That's, that, that lineup's looking, looking pretty Flemish. And we, we, if, you, if you need to do the calendar math, yes, the Formula E's the Formula E season starts before the Formula Two season ends. Oh baby! Oh, that's crossover. Speaking of the Formula E championship calendar, uh, yes. So there have been a couple of changes, but just so you get the math down in your head. The first round of the Formula E season is again in Saudi Arabia on November 22nd and 23rd. The last Formula 2 race is the week after in Abu Dhabi. Yikes. Ain't gotta travel much. Ain't gotta travel much. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, there have been a... So, Sam Smith over at E-Racing 365 has kind of leaked out that uh, there are going to be massive changes to the calendar that will reduce the amount of WEC clashes to one. But uh, Formula E has had to make a lot of changes to get to that point. So the planned December round will just not happen anymore. That was, ru- that was rumored to be happening in Marrakesh December 14th. That would have clashed with the eight hours of Bahrain. That race is not happening anymore. Uh, Jakarta, which was rumored to be also be the December race, is probably going to be in May, meaning that uh, it'll probably take Berlin's spot in the week after Classics. Um... Berlin's gonna move to the next round and replace New York in June. June's gonna just... I mean, New York's just gonna go back to its previous spot in July. So basically, everything's gonna get shifted down the line. Uh, Remember, uh, Hong Kong is also still happening? Yeah. Despite despite, uh, things that are currently taking place in Hong Kong, they're also... There are rumors that uh, 
depending on the climate near the start. Yeah, determining... (laughs) Depending on the political climate in Hong Kong near, uh, near the time the calendar needs to be ratified in October, Hong Kong might just be removed from the calendar. Yeah. Um, There are things going on in Hong Kong that are way beyond the scope of this very Western motorsports podcast that while it does dabble into politics, this is this is a bit beyond our scope. Listen, (laughs) listen to people who know research it. Listen to people who know way more what they're talking about. But suffice to say, um, if that race got dropped, I would entirely understand. Yeah, yeah, it'd be very understandable. We'll go with that. Bahrain 2011, anyone? Get out of my head, Vic. But besides that, it would it would leave only one Formula E class with the World Endurance Championship, and that would be the sixth round in Sunya, China, which would clash with Sebring. Oh well, it's the it's the shitty Sebring round, so who cares? <laughs> yeah. Well, you wouldn't be able to race in the good Sebring round either. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, besides that, that's Formula E done and dusted for now. Right. Um, King, talk about your man's a KTM. Oh do, do my have to? god. <laughs> do I have to? Yes, you do. You wear the cone of shame. Yeah, Moto GP's at Masato this weekend. Can't you tell? I mean, it's okay, King. Uh, you can you can say it. <laughs> We're all friends here. Do you, want, do you want me to hold your hand? We understand. Honestly, <laughs> we do. I mean, if he's gonna go, why can't he just go all the way? King has snapped. King has had enough. Um, Apparently, so has Zarco. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Um, For those who don't know, in that crash that Zarco had with Miguel Oliveira, Oliveira suffered severe damage to the tendons in one of his shoulders. Nasty. Yeah, and that Mans is out here destroying not only the current KTM team. He's destroying their future. Yeah, like, that was a nasty accident at Silverstone. We kind of glossed over it a little bit when the race actually happened a fortnight ago. But, um, yeah, he went into the side of Miguel Oliveira pretty darn hard in that accident. And, yeah, Miguel was running for the first time since that accident at the Masano test last week. And he had to stop. The pain was too much for him to continue. Um, as uh, Cal alluded to, damaged tendons, um, which is nasty. It's a nasty one. That's going to be a lot of painkillers, um, basically. And uh, he's he's touching go for Masano this weekend, apparently. <sighs> King, get your mans. I mean, no one wants to get my mans, including Moto2. Yep, Tech Freeze Hervé Poncherol, I was about to call him Uncle Ponch on this show, um, said, and I quote, We will only know if he can ride on the Friday morning in FP1, as to whether Miguel can actually take part over the weekend. 
Um, mm. Thanks for that, Vic. Um, but uh, yeah, not looking good for Miguel Oliveira, which is a real shame because he's having a fantastic season and he needs these big performances now, given that that seat in the, in the factory team is up for grabs. I mean, rumour has it he's probably getting it anyway, but hey, doesn't have to seal the deal, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, KTM. Bit of a mess at the moment. Still haven't announced the long-term replacement for that for for Zarco yet, or what they're going to be doing with half of their riders with reshuffles and whatnot. Hopefully, we'll get more details on that soon. RJ, Super GT, you're up. Yes. It was time to visit Autopolis for the first leg of the Super Fortnite. Two back-to-back championship eliminator rounds in a span of two weeks. And it just so happened you got Typhoon Remnants coming in, which made it very rainy on race day. Oh, God. But not rainy enough that they had to stop it, though there were three safety cars. And there was a very amusing point where, okay, just hours after the Formula One debacle and on a wet track that was going to dry very quickly... And no slick to immediate tire choices. Remember, you can only pick slicks or you can only pick wet tires. There is no tire in between. And you had a gaggle of cars on the slick tires on a track that was on a section of the track. Because, again, it wasn't raining all over, but the place it was raining was very hard. You had a section of the track where people were just not moving. As you do. <laughs> yeah. You got the, un- the unwilling sight of... Uh, People trying to replicate what happened at Monza. Um, ultimately, out of all of that mess, uh, Heike Kovalainen and Yuichi Nakayama took the win in GT500 because they were on the first to pit for wet tires, and they lasted just long enough to get them to the end. Yoshimo- Hiroki Yoshimoto and Rotoma Miyata took the win in GT300 with three laps to go because... They made it last on the slick tires, and the track dried, dried just quick enough for them to just rocket their way through the field by as much as 10 seconds a lap over some other cars around them. That's right, Jesus. 10 seconds per lap. It was special for Yoshimoto because that was his 100th race, and that was Miata's first win. I mentioned this on social media because... uh Miata's the first driver in that scene that I know of who is on the autism spectrum. It's mentioned mm. on his website. Um, and it's not really his his involvement isn't really so much a vehicle for his condition. He's not very he doesn't talk about it that much. And I, I don't want to speak on his behalf for his experience, but just having him there at this high level um, is pretty significant. And it also helps that he's really good. He's a Toyota-backed junior driver who is expected to be in Super Formula and GT500 no later than next year. The guy's quick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that is really, really awesome. We also learned who is going to be in Germany representing the Super GT series. Um, Who would that be? (laughs) Yes. Um, for Nissan and Nismo, it'll be Sugiya Matsuda, the winningest driver in GT500, and the only four-time series champion, Ronnie Canarelli. For Lexus and Tom's Racing, we have Rio Hirakawa and Nick Cassidy, the 2017 GT500 champions. And representing Honda and Team Kunimitsu will be Jensen Button by himself. I think you mean, I think you mean Benson Jutton. Oh, yes. My apologies. <laughs> Benson Jutton will be there. First time at Hockenheim since 2016, a track where he has three F1 podiums. But no Naoki Yamamoto because 
He's off doing something else closer to home. As in, potentially, free practice one in the Japanese Grand Prix. Boy. Mm. Let's get it. Ooh, saucy. More filth. Oh, God. Um, yeah. Um, speaking of filth, uh, I want to turn this over to our resident NASCAR correspondent, Cameron Buckley. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Begrudgingly. (laughs) I mean, Johnson's not on the show right now, um, so so you'll have to make do. What what part do you want me to get into first? Um, <laughs> well, we could start by something by a fifteen year streak coming to an end. Oh man, seven time NASCAR Cup champion Jimmy Johnson will not make the NASCAR playoffs. This what? was effectively a win or go home race for Jimmy Johnson, and he was running up in contention until he wrecked uh, midway through the race, and that was it. For the first time yep. in fifteen seasons, he does not make the chase, the race, the playoffs, whatever you want to call this contrived mess. And uh, RJ, can you tell me how many years they've been running this uh, postseason format? Um, he's been not in, this specific one. He's been in all of them, literally all of them. He's been in all of them, because it was first introduced in 2004, and he'd made it 15 years in a row. Granted, last year, he just barely squeaked in. Now he's not even in the damn thing. And keep in mind, 15 years, seven championships, all of them under a postseason format NASCAR. That was the entirety of Casey Kane's NASCAR Cup Series career. Yep. That's crazy. And his teammate, William Byron, definitely did him no favors. Because, uh, eh, that probably was not a good discussion after the race. Mm. But this year, he has been, in the context of Hendrick, which is very inconsistent as a team, he's been the weakest of the set of drivers. Yeah. Again. And to be fair, since he got his new crew chief, and I think that was part of the problem, since he got a new crew chief a couple of races ago, he stepped his game up significantly. But it was just too little, too late for the 44-year-old. He's as old as one driver who actually did win the race and further solidify his place up at the upper end of the playoffs. And that would be... Kevin Harvick. Yes, winning the depreciated blue ribbon defense that is the Big Machines Vodka 400 at the Brickyard. Oh, come on, who... You might as well rename it. it the was, my, they might as well rename it. The my wife just left me four hundred. Like Jesus, <laughs> Indianapolis doesn't work for stock cars. Again, just let yeah. it die. Um, for the record, when they launched this race twenty-five years ago, to put this in a context, they had a secret tire test that they could sell tickets for, and people turned up for it. This race was a big deal when it first launched. Now yeah. they can't until get two thousand eight. Yeah, until two thousand eight, which is a race of legendary stature and not for the right reasons. Simply put, uh, the tires could not handle the extra duress and downforce of the Generation Five car of tomorrow, and Th- they had to stop. They had like to this. throw competition cautions every ten laps. Think, think what would have happened if the two thousand five U.S. Grand Prix actually went ahead. Oh god! With all of its yeah. entries, and you <laughs> had to fuck? be changing tires for safety reasons. No, no, no. The biggest talking yeah. point of the race was some charity offering to give like 
some small amount of money to drivers to like not do burnouts on the bricks. Oh my god. Oh my god. Um the pettiest. Something Speaking of petty, thank you for that segue. Bubble <laughs> <laughs> Wallace got third! <laughs> Woo! I'm here for this. Damn it, he should have won that race. Oh my yes. goodness. And, and after the race, he just said, somebody can drive. <laughs> for context, that's his first top five finish since the 2018 Daytona 500. That's all all on him. Bubba, my man. Yes. I'm so happy. Yes. Um, before we get out of this weekend, and knowing that everybody involved was okay, um, guys, I think um, someone turned the AI off in Denmark. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard about this. I have not seen the video in question because I had a feeling this might crop up on the show this week. Who's ready for a Dre's live reaction to... Oh, uh, yes. So to set the right. scene... Our favorite. To set the scene first as he pulls that up, uh, we're at the Citroen DS3 Cup race in Denmark at the Jelandsringen. Sounds lovely. Um, okay, so Citroen DS3 Cup. Right, apparently, I've just read from the, from the quotes on Jalopnik that uh, it's been a dry race, but there's been a sudden torrential downpour. Well, this could only go well. Right. Click and play right about now. Okay. Now I'm just thinking about how the leading Porsche at VLN crashed Whoa. in the torrential downpour. That's a lot of rain. Holy shit. That's, that's not going to win well. Big rain. Big rain. They're running side by side. Um, they're going down the front straight here. They're holding it together. Uh, oh, no. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> that's well, three that... cars in the fence. And one, up one of them's upside the down. Oh. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> Again, everybody's oh, fine. Oh. <laughs> everybody's fine. Oh my god! Oh my! Oh no! <laughs> that last one that comes in at the end. What? Like, man, did you not see what was going on? Jante said. Jante said that per driver's license should have been pulled for life for that. <laughs> Jante says a lot of things. To, to paraphrase, to paraphrase a man better than I, and there is thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in damage there. Oh my! That is the most ridiculous looking wreck that I have ever seen. I, I do not know how everybody walked away from that. Also, I love the fact that one of the drivers involved there has a driver number of six six six. They're nice. totally not trying to tell us something. <laughs> Um, I will say, this is a great advertisement for the safety of the Citroen DS3. The DS3 yes. is a big boy. I've gone back to 2010 just to see the thing. You just see three cars in the wall. One of them is already upside down. And next thing, there was like five cars just completely butt-rushed the scene. <laughs> and the six, seven, and then it, just, just like, what the hell? One of them is literally halfway up the fence. And then the last one that just drives in at like 60, 70 miles an hour. I, oh my god. I, it's a miracle they all walked away from that. <laughs> this is 2019's Macau moment. Holy fuck. Um, it's like somebody went into like an old PlayStation 1 or 2 Gran Turismo game and turned the stun AI cheat on and then everybody <laughs> just <laughs> eats it in the wall. 
Where'd you get that one from, RJ? <laughs> oh god. Oh dear. But uh, like, and I I made that tweet only based off seeing the thumbnail of the picture. I didn't even click it because I wanted to save it for this occasion. Holy shit! It's all I can say in response to that. Again, don't worry. Everybody walked away from this. Don't ask me how. Um, <laughs> well done, Simpson DS3. Holy shit! Not not very good in the rain. Brilliant in a crash. Yeah. Well, you know, if if you're gonna get one of them right, I mean, <laughs> oh dear. Next you week, can have everybody. One. You can't have both. Right. Next week, everybody. Um. The only real big headlining race we've got is MotoGP at Misano. That should be fun. It's worth noting. um, For IMSA, finally, finally, after half a year of being uncompetitive, Cadillac got a BOP break. Imagine saying this at the start of 2017. Imagine this (laughs) for the first year and a half of the DPI era. Boy, Cadillac needs a... Boy, Tadillac needs a team. championship dominating wins. Need a DPI break to catch up with Mazda. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Uh, minus 20 kilograms for Cadillac Nerd. and also an air restrictor adjustment. Nerd. Okay, yes, this is the first leg of the Monterey doubleheader because IndyCar's the following week. Uh, and yep. weather for the IMSA race is looking sunny and clear. Nice. Very nice. Um, we can head... DTM, less the W Series at the Nürburgring, WRC in Turkey. Um, also, we had some car news. The Bugatti Chiron hit 304, and Porsche launched an electric car that's made Tesla fanboys mad. <laughs> yeah, I was going to mention at the start of the show that I have had hundreds of angry people around my house for days now. <laughs> Is that normal in your neck of the woods in Boston? I mean, like... Oh, let's not. Let's not. Well, with population <laughs> density accounted for, I'd say yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Porsche launched the Taycan. It's really fast. But there is a price for having a car not built like a 90s Kia. A <laughs> price premium of about 80, uh, about, what, $85,000 over the base, uh, the Tesla... Model S. And Elon oh, Musk, Christ. noted person who hates motorsport, wants to take the Model S to the Nürburgring just to prove a point to Porsche. <laughs> yeah. Only in their uh, in their gesturing, they kind of forgot that the Nürburgring requires you to book an appointment for a lap run. You can't just show up. And the Nürburgring really? is booked through the end of the season every single day. Damn, another oh, loss damn. for the private sector. <laughs> and oh dear. The uh the Chiron news and I know many have said, Oh, it's not that big of a deal. They modified the car. Bugatti's building this version of the Chiron. Whew. Beautiful. Six the better part of sixteen hundred horsepower. Sixteen hundred over three hundred miles per hour. That's almost five hundred clicks. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting dangerously close to the 500 kilometer barrier here, folks. Go, come on, Koenigsegg, you can do it! Go for 600, Koenigsegg! Do it! <laughs> oh, God! <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen it, check out on Top Gear's YouTube channels. They got a full, they got a full clip of the run. It really does go on a VMAX at 304.77 miles an hour. Terrifying also, stuff. Also, the Volkswagen IDR did its run... 
up the ch- up uh what's the mountain called in China? Um I'm not even gonna try to butcher the name. You're on your own here, Cam. <laughs> Anyways, it was really fucking fast. This is the Heaven's Ridiculously Gate Road fast. at Tianmen Shan Big Gate Road on Tianmen Mountain. What a name. Did they drift a sprint around there? No? Oh dear. Oh, Let me get out of here. <laughs> Places you can find us one more time, real quick. We're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Um, we're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at uh, motorsport underscore 101. You can follow our personal handles at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell, and at CBuckley917. Um, our website, motorsport101.com. And if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. $5 gets you early access to all of our shows. $10 gets you into the supporters club where you can listen to these shows live as they go out. Massive shout out and thanks to everyone that's been watching on this episode. Massive audience this time around. Much appreciated for all of you. Um, we'll be back next week for MotoGP at Misano and a bunch of other stuff. We might even reopen the mailbag. Who knows? That could be a fun time. Um, but uh, until next time, I've been Andre Harrison. They've been Ryan King, RJ O'Connell, and Cam Buckley. Stay strong, JM. See you next week. Sayonara. The NRA sucks, y'all. Bye. I second that notion on the NRA. <laughs> <laughs>